Welcome to the Salt Church Podcast. We're a church that meets in the heart of Wollongong. Come and visit us on Sundays, 10am and 5pm at 275 Kira Street. We'd love to meet you. Jeff, one of the pastors of Salt Church. Well, welcome to you. If you're new or visiting, it's great to have you here. I hope you enjoy your time with us. Uh, in 1993, the first book was published in a series that will become one of the most popular and best-selling series of all time. It was not Harry Potter. It was not the Game of Thrones books. It was not even the Babysitter's Club. For those who have read it, I haven't read it. Uh, it was... The Complete Idiot's Guides books. The first one came out in 1993, teaching you the Complete Idiot's Guides to how to use a computer. Uh, and since then, there have been over 180 books published in this series, which is a huge number of books uh, covering topics as varied as how to use computers, how to flip houses, American history, classic cinema, and of course, starting and running a marijuana business you can get as a complete idiot's guide. Now, what explains the popularity of this series, especially with a title that literally insults the reader? We want to know things. Knowing is powerful. Knowing allows you to achieve. It allows you to make good choices, to avoid problems, to guide other people, and ultimately to live well in God's world in relationship with God. Uh, And these Complete Idiot's Guides have been replaced now by endless millions of YouTube videos with clickbait titles like Washing Your Hands, You've Been Doing It Wrong Your Whole Life. Uh, There is one problem with knowing, though. A little bit of knowledge is only a little bit useful. A little bit of knowledge is sometimes dangerous. Uh, I bought an old house last year that I now live in. And when I tell people that it needs some renovations, I can't tell you the number of people who have said, oh, just look it up on YouTube. You can learn anything there. It's easy. Which goes to show how little they know about my skills but also about the amount of renovations that we did in this place. Our house needs a bit of foundation work. And even the most eager DIYer has caved at this point and said, you probably should get an expert in. But I'm still waiting for the person who's like, oh, I've got a YouTube clip, house foundations. You've been doing it wrong your whole life. I'm just waiting for that moment. Uh, We've actually lined up a builder to come and fix it who knows more than me. Because a little bit of knowledge is only a little bit useful, it's sometimes dangerous. But the more you know, the more you can achieve, make good choices, avoid problems, guide other people, and ultimately the more you can live well in God's world in relationship with God. And knowing is what this part of Acts is all about, knowing God. And who wouldn't want to know God? If you're a Christian, our greatest aim and joy in life should be to know God more. And if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and are exploring Christianity, God is the most important, satisfying, life-transforming one there is to know. So I'm going to pray as we dive into Acts and ask God to show himself to us. Why don't you pray with me? Our great Heavenly Father, thank you that you are knowable, that you want us to know you. Please show, us, show yourself to us tonight as we read your word so that we could know you. Amen. We're in the book of Acts, as Sean said. It was probably written about 60 to 70 AD by a man, a doctor named Luke. 
And he records the facts of what happens after Jesus' resurrection as the early church spreads and grows and as good news of life in Jesus spreads everywhere. And the Apostle Paul is one person that spreads this message to people. Have a look with me in Acts 18 verse 18. Have a look with me. Let's follow along. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time. Then he left the brothers and sisters and sailed for Syria accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at St. Crea because of a vow he had taken. They arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila. He himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. When he landed at Caesarea, he went up to Jerusalem and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul set out from there and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. Uh, He's traveling everywhere, traveling all the way across Europe uh, on this trip, but he's not on a Katiki tour, seeing the sights. What's he doing as he travels? He's talking about God. He's talking about God so that people would know God. Uh, Verse 19, he's reasoning with the Jews in the synagogue. Verse 23, everywhere he goes, he strengthens all the disciples. He's telling Christians and non-Christians about God so they would know God. And it's the same thing that Apollos is doing. Look at verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John, he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Apollos knows the way of God. He's been taught, and so he teaches boldly, accurately, passionately. Uh, He only knows John's baptism. We'll skip that bit. We'll come back to it in a sec. Uh, But Apollos' teaching is a huge help to Christians and non-Christians, especially the people in Ephesus. Because verse 19 Paul spoke about God in Ephesus, and then he left, but they're hungry to know more. Uh, Look at verse 20. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined, but as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. Then he set sail from Ephesus. And where is Apollos? Verse 24. He's in Ephesus. Uh, Verse 26. He's speaking about God in the same synagogue that Paul just left, which I think is the first big thing that this passage teaches us. It teaches us that the more you know God, the more you can help other people know God. Paul and Apollos know God, and so they help these other people know God. They're a great help to Christians and to non-Christians as they introduce people to God and as they help people know God more. But there is one problem. Apollos only knows a little bit about God, and a little bit of knowledge is only a little bit useful. It's sometimes dangerous. But Priscilla and Aquila hear Apollos. Who are Priscilla and Aquila? Come back to the start of the chapter, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila have been with Paul. They've been learning from Paul, and so they can teach Apollos. So look at verse 26. He be- Apollos began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. 
Uh, what Apollos knows is accurate, but it's limited. And so Priscilla and Aquila explain God more accurately. And they do this in private. Uh, there's, there's two ways that the word here could be translated from the original language. It could be that they invite him into their home, or it could be that they took him aside, just, you know, quiet corner somewhere to explain this more. But the point is they did it privately, uh, as opposed to shaming him in public. They privately added to his knowledge of God, because they knew God more, so they help him know God more. And as a result, Apollos becomes even more helpful to Christians and non-Christians. Look at verse 27. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed. For he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. The more you know, the more you can help other people know God. And don't you want to be like Paul and Apollos and Priscilla and Aquila, that you strengthen other Christians, that they grow just from being around you? Don't you want to be the person in your circle of friends that everyone turns to for advice because you give good advice? Or when your friends have got questions or doubts about God, they ask you because you can help them know God more. Uh, In God's kindness, I've had many people like that in my life. Uh, My parents, who are Christians and taught me about God from birth and read the Bible with me and prayed with me and modeled how to love God and and showed what it looks like to to know God and trust God and follow God and suffer for God and serve God. Uh, Ken, the man who gave the talk when I was 14 that God used to save me and make me a Christian. Uh, Dan, who was two years older than me in youth group, who just had this zeal to know God that was infectious. Uh, Kate, who knew the Bible better than me and showed me all these truths about God I'd never seen before. Sarah and Heidi, who love God and so they love other people so well. Uh, Michael and Phil and Marty and Dan and Greg and Stu, the pastors of churches that I've been part of. In God's kindness, I've had so many people in my life who have helped me to know God more. And it is God's kindness because behind all of this in Acts is the hand of God. In Acts, God is here orchestrating all the things that we just read. Paul left the Ephesians wanting to hear more. And it just so happens that Apollos turns up. And Priscilla and Aquila just so happen to be in the exact right spot at the right time to hear Apollos so they can teach him more about God. So Apollos just so happens to be more helpful to other Christians as far away as Corinth. God's at work here causing people to know him because knowing God is the goal of God. God wants us to know him. God wants us to know him well. God wants us to teach other people about God. And the more you know God, the more you can help other people know God. And the more you know God, the more it transforms you. Because knowing God transforms us. Knowing anything changes you and transforms you. It allows you to achieve things, make good choices, avoid problems, guide other people. But to varying extents, you know, different amounts. Uh, I don't know much about American history or classic cinema, or starting and running a marijuana business. Uh, and I'm okay with not knowing much, especially for the last one. Uh, if I bought the idiot's guide to any of those things, I would learn a bunch of stuff, and it would change my life a little bit. 
It probably changed my life a little bit. But knowing God is not like that. Knowing God affects everything. God is the most incredible, important, satisfying, and life-transforming one there is to know. And we see the difference it makes to know God by going back to that bit I skipped. So come back with me to verse 25. Apollos had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. Who is John? What is the baptism of John? Well, John the Baptist was this man who came before Jesus, and he was kind of like the support act at a concert before the main event. He's the warm-up artist before the main event. And he told people to get ready, turn to God, and be ready to trust and obey the one who's coming after him. And he prepared people by baptizing them, which means he'd immerse them in water as an outward sign of what they need on the inside. So people would wash themselves on the outside to show they needed God to wash them on the inside uh, for God to forgive them and change their hearts and their minds and their actions. And heaps of people listened to, to John. He had his own band of disciples that followed him, but he was very clear with everybody that he was the support act. Uh, so here's what he says. This comes from Mark chapter 1. Uh, it starts with a, a quote from the Old Testament about John. It says, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. And so John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem went out to him. Confessing their sins, they were baptized by him in the Jordan River. This was his message. After me comes one more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So this is John, and his job is to get people ready for the one who will come. But he doesn't know who that is. He doesn't know who is coming. Now that's some crucial background to help us understand what happens next. Because what happens next is incredible and life-transforming. It's the kind of thing you should desperately want for yourselves and for everyone you know. In fact, it's what God wants to happen to everybody on the planet. And it's crucial to see that it has happened for you already if you're a Christian. And it can happen for you if you're not yet a Christian. What is it that happens? Well, God transforms these people and grants them forgiveness, and gives his spirit. Have a look in chapter 19, verse 1. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples. But something feels a little bit off to Paul about these disciples. So, verse 2, he asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Uh, This is a little bit of a confusing verse. How can these people not have heard about the Holy Spirit when we just saw that John the Baptist taught about the Holy Spirit? That doesn't make much sense, right? Well, I think, you know, did, did they just miss the week where he was teaching about that? I think more likely what happened is they received John's baptism, but not from John, uh, probably from one of his disciples who came to to Ephesus, 
who only passed on some of John's message. So look at verse 4. Paul said John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. John is the support act, the warm-up act, preparing people for the main event, the one to come. John the Baptist didn't know who that was, but Paul does. It's Jesus. He's come. Believe in Jesus. So verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There are about 12 men in all. It is impossible to overstate the significance of what happens here. God grants these people forgiveness and gives his spirit to live in them. And there's physical proof of this. They speak in tongues, which means they speak in human or spiritual languages that they haven't learned before. And they prophesy, they have messages from God that they speak. But it's crucial to see these people are not Christians when Paul meets them. Because on the surface, it seems like they're already Christians, but they're missing the Holy Spirit. They didn't get the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus. And so Paul gives them the Holy Spirit. They're filled with power. There's supernatural proof of it all. Uh, On the surface, it looks like there's two stages here. You become a Christian, and then you're baptized with the Holy Spirit as an extra experience of God. And this is actually what some churches teach. Um, I'll show you a quote from a church. I won't tell you which church it is because I don't think it'll be that helpful. Uh, this is a 7,000 word article on their website that I worked through. And I've pulled out a few, pray, few choice quotes. Um, I, hope, I think it represents accurately what they're teaching. But here's what this church says. The most distinguishing features of the baptism in the Holy Spirit are that one, it is subsequent to the new birth or subsequent to becoming a Christian. Two, it is accompanied by speaking in tongues. And three, it is distinct in purpose from the Spirit's work of regenerating the heart and life of a repentant sinner. Speaking in tongues is the initial empirical accompaniment to spirit baptism. Nowhere does the scripture indicate that one may be baptized in the Spirit without speaking in tongues. It is not an experience that occurs only at the time of being baptized in the Spirit. It ought to be continual, repeated. Spirit baptism opens up the receiver to the full range of spiritual gifts. With the baptism in the Holy Spirit come such experiences as an overflowing fullness of the Spirit, a deepened reverence for God, an intensified consecration to God and dedication to His work, and a more active love for Christ, for His Word, and for the lost." I don't know if you followed all of that. I don't know what you think about that. Um, I've got to say, it actually feels pretty appealing to me, uh, what it describes there. Uh, it, it feels pretty appealing to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Because uh, don't you want God's power at work in your life? I, I'm sick of my sin. I'm sick of failing. I would love God's power to defeat sin in my life. In the seasons when I feel dry and far from God, I would love the overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit. And don't you want assurance, physical proof that you are a Christian, safe and loved by God? Don't you want reassurance that you're not a second-class Christian, you know, inferior compared to all the other Christians around you who seem to have more joy in God? There is something very appealing about what it's describing there. 
But unfortunately, it's wrong. And it's not wrong because these are things that God doesn't offer to us. It's wrong in understanding how God gives them and who he gives them to. And I think it stems from a wrong understanding of parts of the Bible like the one that we're reading. Because on the surface, it seems like these people believe in Jesus, but they're missing out on the Holy Spirit. And so Paul gives them the Holy Spirit. But is that really what it says? Have a look with me again in chapter 19. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples. Disciples of who? Jesus or John the Baptist? Verse 2. And he asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Believed who? Jesus or John the Baptist? And verse 4, they learn for the very first time that the one to come, the main event, is Jesus. So verse 5, on hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. It's very clear here, these are not Christians who lack the Holy Spirit. These are non-Christians who become Christians, as Paul tells them about Jesus. Paul who knows God and so can help other people know God. And the result is they receive the Holy Spirit, like every Christian receives the Holy Spirit. The normal experience for all Christians is that when you trust Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit. When you trust Jesus, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit simultaneously at the same moment in time. And we see this idea in the rest of the New Testament, which is a really helpful guide for us as we read the book of Acts. Uh, There's a big question with the book of Acts, same for any part of the Bible that's narrative. And the question is, does this describe what did happen or does this prescribe what should happen? Describe what did happen, prescribe what should happen. This did happen, but just because it did happen, does that necessarily mean it should always happen every time for everybody? Or is it just recording for us what did happen once? Well, as we look at the rest of the Bible, we see what the normal is to expect. And here's a couple of verses that show us. Acts 2 verse 38, Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Here's a clear promise from God. Ephesians 1 verse 13, When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit. Not later, when you believed. Or Titus 3, 5 to 6. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior. It's past tense. He's already done this. He poured it out. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For we were all baptized by one Spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free. I think it's clear to see what the normal is, that everyone who turns to Jesus as their Savior and Lord has the Holy Spirit living in them, has received the Holy Spirit, has been baptized in the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in every Christian, which is why that idea I showed you before is false, not because it's not available from God, not because it's something we shouldn't want. Who doesn't want the overflowing fullness of the Holy Spirit? It's wrong because the fact is, that is what we have as Christians. Not by a second spiritual baptism you may get, a special experience of God that only some Christians experience, but by taking hold of what we already have. 
What Acts describes has happened for you already if you're a Christian. And it can happen for you if you're not yet a Christian. That God can transform us and grant us forgiveness and give us his spirit. Of course, you could raise a very valid objection at this point. I just said this has happened for you already if you're a Christian. But I'll be the first to admit that I've never spoken in tongues or prophesied a message directly from God. And I'm okay with that because of the, what the rest of the New Testament tells me to expect. Here's a couple of other choice verses. Uh, Ephesians 1 verse 3, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Every Christian has every spiritual blessing. There's nothing you're lacking. Or Ephesians 1 18 to 19, Paul says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. The power of God, the Holy Spirit, you already have it. You just need help to know that you have it. Galatians 5, to 23. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Nothing there about speaking in tongues or prophecy. That's not the fruit of the Spirit. These things are the fruit of the Spirit. Or 1 Corinthians 12, 7 to 11. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, prophecy. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. And to still another, the interpretation of tongues. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit. And he distributes them to each one just as he determines. Can you see, if you want assurance and proof that you truly are a Christian, who has been baptized with, has received the Holy Spirit... Look for the fruit of the Spirit, not a particular gift that the Holy Spirit may or may not give to you. If you want God's power at work in you, see that you already have it. If you fear that you're a second-class Christian compared to all the other Christians around you, see that every Christian has every spiritual blessing. See, what may be lacking is not that we don't have these things, but that we don't realize we have these things. We don't know, we don't realize the difference it makes to know God. And it's not a little bit of difference like learning American history or classic cinema. Knowing the most important, satisfying, life-transforming one there is to know. Can you see that every Christian has been forgiven for our sins? That God himself in the person of his son gave his life as Jesus died for us to bring us a forgiveness that we will never deserve A forgiveness that means you are safe and secure with God for eternity. And can you see that God lives in us in the person of his Holy Spirit to assure us that we really are God's people and to powerfully transform us to become more like Jesus. I mean, what more could God give to us? What a difference it makes to know God. So I want to ask you, do you know God? If you wouldn't call yourself a Christian and you're exploring Christianity, it is so great that you're here. It takes a lot of courage to do that. So I think it's fantastic that you're here. Uh, Can you see here that, that knowing God is the goal of God? God wants you to know him. God wants you to know him really well. And the way to know God is to read the Bible, to read the words of God. Uh, I have a friend who posted on social media. She posted this. She said, I've downloaded a Bible app on my phone. Do you reckon I get points with God for that? 
Uh, and I wrote back and said, do you want to read? I'll, I'll read the Bible with you. I'll help you understand it. But what I wanted to say was I think you only get points if you open the app and you read the Bible and you do what God says. That felt a bit harsh, though, so I didn't say that. But that's why God gave us the Bible. You know, To have a Bible and not read it is like getting given a free Tesla that you never unlock and you never drive. What's the point of that? You know, God has spoken. He's given us his words so we could know him. God is knowable. He wants us to know him. So can I encourage you, if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you're exploring this, you've come to the perfect place. Let me encourage you to read the Bible for yourself. Uh, read the Bible for yourself as an adult. Don't just rest on the stories you might have heard in school or whatever. Read the Bible for yourself so that you can know God. And, and as Sean said, take one of these home. We're about to order 50 more of these Bibles. Go and take one home. Take one for a friend if you've got a friend that would love to explore Jesus. Read the Bible so you can know God more. And, and let other people help you. Because the more you know God, the more you can help other people know God. And let me speak to you if you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, how can we know God more? I think we know the answer. That There's no secret recipe here. There's no magic bullet. It's to read the Bible. But I think the key is our attitude that we want to read the Bible. Um, have you ever been starving and you've just got like a ravenous appetite, just that insatiable hunger and insatiable thirst? I think that's what we need, uh, to be hungry to know God. So hungry that we get into the Bible regularly. And I'll be the first to admit, there are many things that make that really hard to do. Uh, I remember for me, when I was a young Christian, for many years, I'd read the Bible, read a chapter or whatever, close it and go, I have no idea what I just read. I don't think that made any difference to me. I can't understand anything I just read. And so I needed to get lots of people to help me understand the Bible. I think I've found for me as well, one blockage is if I don't have a plan, when I'm going to read the Bible where I'm going to read the Bible, what I'm going to read from the Bible. Uh, the times that I don't plan it out are the times when I failed. But if I decide 6 a.m. in the lounge room and I'm going to read the book of Acts, I'm a thousand times more likely to succeed. You know that phrase, failure to plan is a plan to fail? It's like that. Uh, also for me, I need to keep reminding myself of the goal. I want to learn, uh, I want to remember the goal and knowing God more is different to knowing more about God. Knowing God more is different to knowing more about God. I want to learn more about God so I can know God more, so I can love God more and trust Him more and obey Him more and be amazed at Him more. Uh, so my goal is time with God each day to hear His voice from the Bible. It's not to read three chapters of the Bible or really get to grips with predestination or something. And so I keep it really flexible to hit that goal. Uh, sometimes I read a chapter of the Bible a day. Sometimes I read one verse. Yesterday I read six words, and that's what I read from the Bible yesterday and just thought about them for a while. Uh, sometimes I read the same four verses every day of the week. Uh, sometimes I read, memorize part of the Bible and try and memorize a, a couple of verses. Uh, sometimes I read a book that another Christian has written about God and about the Bible. Sometimes I listen to podcasts or sermons while I'm washing up or whatever. Uh, I just have like eight different things that I do. And as soon as it feels like one of them isn't working, I'll change it. Because my goal is time with God each day, hearing his voice from the Bible so I know him more. So if you're a Christian, let's want to know God more. And let's help each other know God more. Because the more you know God, the more you can help others know God. 
Uh, and none of us are pros here. None of us are professionals with a complete knowledge of God. There are so many things I don't know about God. We are all in the same boat here, slowly learning more. So speak confidently about what you do know to be true. Like Apollos, he had a limited knowledge, but what he did know that was accurate, he taught with boldness and passion. We need that. We need to be together. We need other Christians who will speak the truth in love to us. And we need to humbly learn. Again, like Apollos, he was so happy to be corrected so he could become even more helpful to the Christians and non-Christians he would meet. And can I say, be happy to be corrected even if the way you're corrected is a bit awkward or a bit offensive, even if the packaging that the correction comes in is a bit awkward or offensive. Uh, Because have you noticed this thing about our culture? In our culture at the moment, it's become a virtue to be offended. It's like a badge of honor. I got offended. Um, There's this really weird thing that's happening. You can even get offended on other people's behalf, which is a bit odd. It's like this race to be who, see who can get offended first. But let's be so keen to know God that we'll love to hear more truth and be corrected even if it comes in a package that's awkward or offensive so that we can know God deeper. And knowing God is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. Uh, this week was my 14-year wedding anniversary. I'm married to Fiona, and it was also her 14-year wedding anniversary. Uh, <laughs> And when we got married, my dad was the marriage celebrant. Uh, he used to be a pastor, so he was the wedding celebrant. So we got to that bit, and, you know, did all the vows and the rings and everything. And we got to the bit in the ceremony where it's like, you may now kiss your bride. And I'm standing here, and Fiona's standing here, and my dad's here. And we're meant to kiss, and Fiona's like, this is so awkward. Why is your dad right there? Uh, but one thing, if you've been, I'm sure you've been to a wedding. I'm, do you know what you have never heard at a wedding ceremony? You have never heard the celebrant say, now you have to kiss your bride. Because that is something a new husband wants to do. They get to do it. They just got married. I think in the same kind of way, God doesn't make himself known, grant us forgiveness, give us his Holy Spirit, and now we have to know God. And it's like this boring duty to, you just have to put up with it for the rest of your life. Guess I got to read the Bible. You know, like kids, you got to eat your veggies before you get dessert. No, we get to read the Bible. It is the dessert. God's goal is that we would know him. And God is the most important, satisfying, life-changing one there is to know. And we get to know him. I'm going to pray and give him thanks. Let's pray. Our great Heavenly Father, thank you that we get to know you. It cost the life of your Son to enable us to do that so that we could be at peace with you, be forgiven. Thank you for putting your Holy Spirit in us, baptizing us in the Holy Spirit so that we could know you so deeply and so personally. Thank you that you're at work changing us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We pray, Lord, that we would get to know you for the rest of our lives, that we would love that we get to do this, that we would work to get to do this. We thank you that we get to know you now and every single day on into eternity. Amen.